0: Listen to The Amendment now, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome. I am Diana Kander, welcoming you to my journey of self-improvement. Today's episode needs a small disclaimer. As you know, I have this long list of things that I'm trying to improve about myself. And one of the things that has been on my list since the very beginning it is personal safety. Like many of you, I have a plan of what I'm going to do in case there's any danger, but you know what? I'm not sure if that's a good plan, and I want to talk to an expert to figure out if I'm even on the right track. Now, the disclaimer is that between making my list and taping this episode, my husband Jason and I have been doing a lot of work to address his PTSD, my secondary PTSD, and the main symptom that we have in common is hypervigilance, which is an overactive sense of danger all around you. And we've been doing all this work to feel a lot more safe and comfortable in the world and be able to admit that we don't have to be at peak anxiety all the time, worried about danger. So Jason and I were both concerned that reading this book, having this conversation on dealing with danger is going to be triggering for me. But you know what? I don't know if it's the therapy or all the physical and mental work that we've been doing, but I was able to come out of this conversation a lot more educated and not more anxious. And that is my hope for you. That is the disclaimer that this conversation helps you shift your perspective about how you think about personal safety. But it does not make you any more anxious about the world. Because if you are anxious, you cannot be creative. You cannot be curious. You cannot grow and innovate. So today I am talking with Tim Larkin, a former military intelligence officer and creator of the Target Focus Training Program. Tim is 25 years of experience training people in 52 countries on how to deal with imminent violence. Over 10,000 clients have been trained on how to use physics and physiology to injure any human or humans trying to attack you. Tim and I are going to talk about why most programs that teach self-defense make a huge mistake in the information they're providing, the difference between antisocial and sociopathic behavior that's going to let you know when you can negotiate and try to talk your way out of something or when violence is your only answer, how to get into the proper mindset to be able to protect yourself, the best way to injure someone quickly and allow yourself to get away. Before we get to the interview, I ask that you rate and review the show. It means so much to me whenever you take a second to either rate it or talk about why you like it. And the more that you invest in helping other people discover this show, the more time I'm going to invest in putting out more content like this conversation with Tim Larkin. Tim, thank you so much for being here. I have a lot of conversations about this podcast that I'm doing. And usually when I'm in in groups of people, I'll give them examples of what the shows are. And the one I love to give them is this episode, how to not get kidnapped or assaulted. And usually if there are women in the group, they all reveal that they have some kind of plan already in place to not get kidnapped or hurt. And after reading your book, I learned that most of our plans are no good. Like, right the opposite of what we should be doing. So I wanted to have an expert come on and talk about my plan and then you can tell me what's wrong with it. And then you can tell me how to do it better, how to prepare myself for the unthinkable, which is the title of your book. You got it. Okay. So somebody once told me that one of the Supreme court justices was being held up or something and, she fell to the floor and started like convulsing, like she was having a seizure. And so that has really been my plan for how to not get attacked. But I've heard other women share that they were going to scream for help, run away, negotiate with the person. Tell me what you think of any of those and how it relates to your methodology.
2: It's funny. It's kind of like it's. And I don't mean this in an offensive way, but <laughs> I, I I hear it with people all the time. It's it's kind of like listening to all the other chickens in the chicken coop talk about how they're going to take on the wolf <laughs> and, and the wolf just laughs. I mean, it's just, it just doesn't work that way. Um, yeah. Okay. So if that worked, let's I won't even say you say it works. Say she fell down and she did the whole seizure thing, or I've heard people, I mean, literally this was a, this is one of the things that just drove me crazy on a military base. They were putting out to women that they should Uh, urinate themselves, defecate on themselves and worst case scenario, just give into it and let the rape happen.
0: I have heard women whose plan is to urinate themselves. And that one's got to be one of the toughest. I didn't even bring it up because it feels like that would be impossible to do on command.
2: Yeah. I I think, uh, you know, I think a lot of times what what happens is obviously the fear, the fear factor kicks in and, uh, you know, biologically, sometimes it can be, um, it, it, it can happen involuntarily, you know, but, Again, I, I put all of those strategies under the strategies of hope, you know, meaning if any of those strategies work, they're not on the people I'm worried about. I talk about that all the time. Just, just being a, a male, even though I'm, I'm in my early fifties now, I, I'm still, I still have a physical presence. I still work out and people will comment on that. You know, I've got the tattoos, I've got the typical look, but what I try to tell people all the time, if any of that works to deter somebody from attacking me, they're not the threat I'm worried about. Really, what it comes down to with, uh, especially with women, is just changing your mindset. You know, you've been told. I feel women have just been horribly mistreated, and you know, just just done a disservice the way they're told to pursue, say, self protection or anything. They always. It, it's almost like it's a, a second class citizen, and a lot of times people in my industry are like, "Well, you know, women are different, and they're not as strong as men." And therefore we have to take these different strategies. And uh it just doesn't jibe with the way you know self-protection, you know, self-protection is inherently available to everybody, regardless of gender. And we the methods that you should employ for self-protection bypass bigger, faster, and stronger. But the one thing that's amazing in training women, when I did the book that you were talking about, uh survive the unthinkable, I did that with Tony Robbins. I work a lot with his uh, agency. I do multiple seminars for him. And what was interesting was one of the first times I got together with Tony at, at one of his events, he, he did a a thing where he asked the whole audience, it was male and female. And he said, Hey, I'm I'm not saying anything's happened to you, that you know, that you really, you know, it was really imminent or anything, but how many people here in the last week or so have had a situation where they were, they were aware of the potentiality for violence. And what was interesting was maybe about 10% of the men, and that's being generous, probably put their hands up. It was almost 95% of the women put their hands up that they had it. And and that is a gift to you all because you guys are very aware, even from a subconscious standpoint, uh, you're very aware of the potentiality for violence You know, with unfamiliar males, situations that you know, most of us, like I wouldn't necessarily be disturbed if I was in an elevator by myself and an unfamiliar male entered in and a couple floors up where that's a very different scenario for most women. You know, they're, they're very aware of the potentiality for violence in that, in that situation. So that's a really good thing. I think the problem is um, we come up with strategies that would probably work on us, meaning oh, if somebody went screaming, I, I wouldn't want to deal with them, so I'm just going to kind of let them go away. Or if somebody urinated on themselves or you know had a seizure, you know that would be it. I'd just go look for somebody easier. Yeah, no. If the person's been stalking you for a while and they really understand who you are and what they want, that's not going to deter them. Um, so a much better protocol is to really start talking about our situational awareness. And I, I know that sounds... You know, it just sounds like everybody says, oh, yeah, I know I'm supposed to be aware of my surroundings. It's way more than that. You have to start really trusting your instincts and you have to really start getting back in tune. And And women tend to be much better at this than men, but you need to get back in tune with your nonverbal communication. Your body has many ways of communicating to you that are nonverbal. And we've all experienced it, you know, when you get that strange You know, they say, oh, well, the hair in the back of my neck stood up or my stomach got queasy in this particular situation. That's your body screaming out at you that something's wrong. And it's trying to tell you, hey, listen, you need to take action. You need to get out of here. And that's where the majority of clients that I run into, they'll tell me the same story. They knew something was wrong at point X, but because it would have been socially awkward for them to take action, meaning they'd kind of be embarrassed. You know, maybe like I had one woman say, well, I didn't want to feel like I was judging this person because they seemed like they were homeless and then take it two two steps down. He follows her into the parking lot and then, you know, he attacks her because of her social training. She put herself at risk, even though her body uh, was giving her every clue that there was something wrong with this particular individual. And, and I know that sounds probably a little hard to uh, quantify. It's like, oh, okay, well, Tim, how do, you, how do you quantify that? It really isn't. I've been doing this for quite some time, and it's amazing to me, male and female, how people will tell me that some sort of a nonverbal warning kicked in well before the event happened, but they ignored it. So, my first line of defense for everybody is you have to get back in tune with that, and you have to risk looking foolish, you know, it, it's okay. So you run out of there or, or, you know, the elevator opens up, this strange individual comes in, you get a weird feeling and you just, you just pop yourself out of that elevator right away. And, you know, does it look like maybe you're judging the person or making a comment or anything like that? Yeah. All those things, but you're safe. And, uh, I, I guess to give you a, a story that everybody can kind of relate to is my, one of my really good friends and instructors, his wife, when she was going to grad school, was coming to the parking lot with two of her friends in in grad school. They had parked on the first floor. They had come together in a car. And she had parked on the third floor. And when they walked in the parking lot, they saw this guy, and and they caught him out of the corner of her eye. And I remember she said to herself, she goes, that guy's kind of sketchy, that's kind of weird. And then she chastised herself because she thought she was being judgmental. Her friend said to her, hey, let us, you know, we'll run you up to your car real quick. And, you know, she didn't want to put them out they had been studying. It was fairly late. It was like 1030 at night. They'd been studying for quite some time. And she said, Oh, that's ridiculous. I'm fine. I'll grab the elevator. My car's right by the elevator. No problem. So they take off. She jumps in the elevator. She goes up to the third floor. As soon as the third floor, as soon as the elevator opens, literally, she said it opened up and she was nose to nose with the guy that she had saw on the first floor. Now, luckily she had training, you know, she had a little bit of training. She'd been through one of our seminars and she was able to affect two injuries on, on the individual, uh, right away. She took her briefcase and she was able to crash it into his groin. And then she balled up her fist and she's a small woman. she's like five one. Um, she, she took the ball of her fist and she was able to strike him in the side of the neck and hit his head against the elevator shaft. And he dropped At that point, she ran to her car, got in her car and took off. And everybody wants to know, well, what happened next? Well, by the time security got there, the guy was gone. But talking to her after the event, she was kicking herself because she ignored two opportunities to avoid it. You know, first off, she she recognized there was a guy that was sketchy. Her nonverbal was kicking in. And then she denies the ride up because of, again, social awkwardness, doesn't want to put people out trying to be nice, not thinking about her personal safety at that point. And that's what, you know, it was great that she had the training. She had something for worst case scenario, but she was really mad at herself because the whole goal of educating yourself with this is to minimize the chance of violence ever coming into your life and ever having to use the information to protect yourself. And that's my big goal for most clients, you know, and, and so women are highly capable of protecting themselves. You just have to approach it from a, a manner that probably is socially uncomfortable for women once in a while because they don't want to offend. And I know that's a broad generalization. It's just a, it's it's the tons of feedback that I get when I train women, especially professional women.
0: No, I, I can definitely relate because I had always, whenever anybody offered to walk me to my car would always say, no, I'm, I'm great. Like, I don't want to be appear scared. And then I had an incident in a parking lot and now <laughs> I I don't even care. I'm like, listen, I'm going to need whichever two people at this restaurant to walk me to my car because I'm not doing it by myself. Yeah. And just freeing yourself of that nervousness. Um, I don't know. I haven't had any any other incidents.
2: Well, that's it. And, and 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 what's funny is it's not a sign of weakness. Listen, I have highly capable women that are instructors of mine. They're they're a phenomenal. I mean, if anybody was stupid enough to put their hands on her without injuring her, you know, knocking her out or anything like that, you know, both either either one of my instructors, they tear into somebody right away. They know exactly where and, where to go and what to do, regardless of size or strength. But What's interesting is the more they've trained over the years and the more capable they've become at physically protecting themselves, the more they've upped their situational awareness. You know, they're the first ones to get themselves out of a situation if they think it's going bad. They're the first ones to, you know, exit no matter how socially awkward something is because they don't want to have to use the tool of violence to protect themselves. And that's a really good message. But the way you get there is I think the transformation that I put people through is when they go through, say, one of the seminar trainings, I quickly show women that they're far more capable than they think they are at protecting themselves. It's because, you know, I assume for all of my clients, three things, I assume that you're going to be facing multiple attackers. I assume that those attackers are going to be bigger, faster, and stronger. And I assume those attackers are going to be carrying weapons. And so that, pretty much, you know, it's all the outliers when you're dealing with a physical attack. That's probably the worst case scenario you could put yourself in. But if you train under those worst case scenarios, you just make much better decisions. And uh, that that's the process. And what's funny is once you teach women how to use violence to protect themselves, and the reason I say violence, I know that's a tough word for some people, people like to talk about self-defense. They go, I don't want to learn violence, I want to learn self-defense. They're confusing the situation. Self-defense is after the fact, just like a criminal prosecution is after, after the fact, what you do to protect yourself is violence. You Use the tool of violence to protect yourself. After you've done that, it's then determined if it was a justified use of the tool of violence, it's called self-defense. If it's not justified, well, then, you know, you're in the, you're in the, um, legal system dealing with, you know, assault, battery, all those charges and, and, uh, you know, going, going down that route, you know, my clients, the problem, I don't worry about the criminal side of things. Criminals don't seek out training uh, from somebody like me, my clients, I want to show them that, hey, this is not criminal, what you're learning, you you can protect yourself, but you know, you have to be very clear with what you're doing. You need to, you need to be able to injure the other person to be able to protect yourself. And that's where the self-protection self-defense side comes in. But there's no training, there's no real training called self-defense, even though people use the term. It's a a legal term to determine, you know, how the use of force was was looked at by society.
0: Well, one of the big ah ahas that I got from your book is that there's a big difference between sociopathic behavior and antisocial behavior. And not understanding the difference can get us in a lot of trouble, like my plan to fall down and have a seizure, right?
2: Right. Yeah. Well, listen it comes down to choice. Anytime you have a choice, meaning at any point you can disengage from the, uh, from the event, that is the hallmark of antisocial aggression. Antisocial aggression is eminently avoidable. And it's unpleasant, meaning people yelling at you, people, you know, the things that we think we need to respond to, we actually don't. And what's funny is oftentimes it's the other way around when, when you're facing imminent grievous bodily harm and violence and you do need to respond, you know, with violence, that's what people want to communicate. And so uh, understanding the difference between the two is key. What, what most people fail to, to understand is that if you have a choice in the matter at any time, it's not the time to use violence. If you have to ask yourself whether or not you can, you know, strike somebody or, or hit them or, or something like that, it's not the time. You, there won't be a question in your mind when you need to be able to use the tool. So that's that's makes your life really easy to navigate because, you know, basically, if you have the luxury of not engaging or going away, you know, somebody calling you unpleasant names or whatever, and you just disengage. You just let them have their verbal victory or whatever. That way, it doesn't have a chance to escalate in real life.
0: Big week for Whoop this week. Yeah. My gosh, that was a tongue twister.
2: Well, I mean,
1: they raised $55 million, and I actually read that and said, Think of all the new cool stuff they're going to do.
0: This is the latest round that they raised $55 million. They've gotten money from basketball players like Kevin Durant, the NFL Players Association, online, like software company executives. Everybody's putting money into this fitness tracker. It is a strap that you wear on your wrist. It does not track your steps. It does not track your GPS. There is no display, but it is the best fitness tracker out there that tracks three things. How much you're physically exerting yourself, how much you're recovering and resting, and how much sleep you're getting at night. Why are you smiling at me?
1: Because you did that entire thing while making eye contact with me and not looking down at notes, and that is hilarious.
0: I love my whoop so much. We contacted the company to ask them to be able to market it to our listeners.
1: I also found out this week from listening to your podcast that it's supposed to be pronounced whoop.
0: I can't do it right.
1: I can't either. I think it's where we're from.
0: I'm not
3: (laughs) sure.
1: Here's a new thing I learned about whoop whoop uh, this week, which is really cool, which is I've been having really low recovery scores when I wake up. It's saying like you're not very well recovered. And I figured out at your suggestion that that doesn't mean I can't work out. It just means I should just work out the amount it tells me to. And it'll tell me like, okay, you hit your point for the day for what you're ready for and then you stop. It's great.
0: It, it tells you what to do. Myself. It tells you when to go to bed. It tells you how much to exert yourself. It's unbelievable, which is why this latest round of funding is $55 million.
1: I assume with that that they're going to make it where it like changes my oil and whitens my teeth. <laughs> I'm not sure.
0: People who use WHOOP report that they have better sleep, drink less alcohol, have fewer injuries, and reduce their resting heart rate. Th- those are incredible results because this thing is so good at measuring what it is that you have been doing and what it is that you should be doing.
1: If you've been listening to this entire season, and you still don't have a whoop. Like, what do we got to tell you?
0: I I know, I know <laughs> what to tell you. That they have an offer for our listeners to get fifteen percent off your purchase with the code Diana. Just go to whoop whoop w h o o p dot and enter Diana as your code at checkout, and you save fifteen percent and are able to optimize the way that you live
1: this episode is about how to not get kidnapped yes that's right you know one of the ways people get kidnapped is they're at the bank and then suddenly there's a robbery and they get taken hostage i'll tell you how that <laughs> you try
0: not to freak out the listeners here
1: i'll tell you how you can make sure to avoid that in your life nbkc is an online bank <laughs> is it not <laughs> online banking to get taken hostage <laughs> is all i'm saying
0: I definitely, if you have an online bank, it's impossible for you to be in the midst of any kind of a bank robbery situation. Yeah. So Other benefits. We're not,
1: we're not guaranteeing anything. We're just saying that's that right there is a fact.
0: Statistically, much lower if you have an online bank. Yeah. Other benefits of NBKC is you don't pay any fees. You don't pay minimal balance fees. You don't pay any ATM fees in their money pass system. You don't pay any foreign transaction fees, no overdraft fees, no stop payment fees. I mean- Besides the bank robbery situation, there's a lot of reasons to choose NBKC. You're
1: not getting robbed on fees now. I mean, I feel like that laugh was a little more than I deserved, but I'll tell you. No, that was a good one. (laughs) Thank you.
0: NBKC is member FDIC.
1: And an equal housing lender.
0: And if you go to NBKC.com slash Diana, you will find all the reasons why you should choose them as your bank. Plus, if you sign up there, you get a free box of stuff of professionally have swag that is not available for sale anywhere. People have been messaging me. How do I purchase boxes like this? And I say to them, you got to contact NBKC and open up some accounts because that's the only way. So just go to nbkc.com slash Diana to figure out why you should sign up for a bank account and why this bank is different. What about somebody that says give me your wallet or your purse. They're trying to communicate with me. I have a choice.
2: Yeah, you have a choice. Now that's that's unpleasant communication, but it is still communication. So the, the way I answer that story is I want people to understand the difference between the two. And the first scenario is antisocial aggression, bordering violence, but antisocial aggression, where you could choose to use your social skills to see if you can talk your way out of it. It's going to be an instinctual thing. I've had people who they've done exactly that. So I think this is just a robbery. They've given them everything. I've had other people who there was something on the attacker. There's something about the attacker, the way their body was acting, what they saw in their eyes, where they thought this person was on say heightened, you know, drugs or something like that. And they, they decided, no, this guy is, this guy's a threat. And they decided to take action. That's the difference with the antisocial aggression you know, there is the ability to use some communication. The other scenario, there's only one thing that works in that scenario and that's, that's violence because there was no communication in that. There was no social interaction at all. But here's the dirty little secret. We're really good at this stuff, meaning violence. We're actually pre-wired for this as humans. It, it does not take years and years to learn how to use the tool. You know the best people in the world. You know I do a lot of I study a lot of you know unpleasant people to get you know the best information I can for my clients, and some of the best information unfortunately comes from the prison systems, especially amongst the um, the alpha you know, gangs that are there and how they look at violence and how they use it. The interesting thing that I like to point out to everybody is the best people in the world at, at injuring and killing other human beings with their bare hands or improvised weapons have zero training in combat sports and martial arts. And, you know, it's just, it's intent and it's using the tool of violence is actually really simple and very stupid. You, You know, it's a very stupid, easy, easy to learn tool. The hard part is to explain to sane socialized people when it would ever be acceptable to use that tool and that's that's where I take people and the best part is especially when I when I train my female clients they just it just changes the way they look at life you know they they, ha- they don't have any false uh, expectations they don't I don't give them any false hope I mean if you get in the you know if you get in a situation where you allow somebody to show you just how big fast and strong they are they're going to show you, but if you understand how to use a tool of violence and you also understand how to really heighten your, your, your situational awareness, you'll create a situation where it minimizes the chance of violence ever coming in your life.
0: Okay. Well, I'm going to do my best, you know, to use my spidey sense to not get in those situations, but is there anything you can teach me while we're on the phone uh, without, you know, before I come and take a class that could increase my safety in a dangerous situation?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Probably it's going to be really boring, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I opened up my Google talk with this. So my Google, I, 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 I had to go talk to the people at Google and uh, give them a, a, you know, at their campus. And I did an hour long presentation for them and did a Q and a, but I'm, I'm sitting here going, okay, how can I grab tech guys? How can I grab tech, you know, guys and gals right away? What would he do? Well, I have a video clip of a, uh, uh a robbery on a bus in Seattle, And I'm not, I'm not kidding. (laughs) You, you wouldn't believe this guy is walking down the middle of the bus with a 45, with a large handgun and he's robbing people. He's just taking their, their cell phones, he's taking everything and nobody's talking to anybody. Everybody's immersed in their cell phones the whole time. They've given up their ears and their eyes, you know, because we're in this world of, you know, amazing technology that we have that everybody goes internal, but they give up all their situational awareness. Now the best part of this is which shocked everybody. He goes down the line. He finally gets in front of one kid who's immersed in his phone. The The gun comes literally to his nose. He looks up and he actually does a really good thing. He, he does a movement where he moves the, the gun out of the way. He, it's, we call it the vector, but he, he, displaces the vector and he goes straight into the guy and then in his other hand he's holding his phone and you're like oh great he's going to use his phone he's going to use it like as a bludgeon maybe hit him or do something like that now this is a guy that has a gun in his face people on the bus tons of things i mean no no bigger threat than you can have that what does he do with his phone he's trying to put it in his overcoat pocket so he doesn't (laughs) crack the screen and everybody and what's really funny. I have to point that out to people. You know, I'm telling you what it is. What I normally do is I let people watch the video. I have it edited. So I then highlight it with the second run through the first run through. Most people don't catch it at all. They don't even catch the fact that this guy literally is trying to protect his phone with his life's on the line. And my point is to everybody, these are probably the biggest threats to our personal safety right now are the smartphones. Now I'm not a Luddite. I don't think it's going anywhere, but it's just a reality that I see women all the time will tell me things like, well, I should be able to run at 1030 at night, you know, with my AirPods in and uh, my music blasting, you know, people just shouldn't assault me. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. They they shouldn't. And you know, I live in a neighborhood. I live in a really nice neighborhood here in Las Vegas. And I, I shouldn't have to lock my car or my house either. I mean, people just shouldn't rob me, but, You know, it's kind of strange. I actually do lock everything up, and you know, just take those precautions. It's one of those things where you just need to be aware. It's what 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 people are looking for is they're imagining some big physical thing. You know, they're they're imagining something that was so earth shattering that whatever they imagine a violent act is, you know, some big epic story. And unfortunately, it's usually just these little oversights in our own situational awareness and personal protection that leads to the problem. I call it sleeping with your your, your head with the railroad track, you know, Um, and and people, you know, my only goal is to make sure that I remove as many things like that from your life. So all I do is just, hey, it doesn't matter if the train comes, you're not going to get hit by the train because you're not sleeping on the railroad track anymore. So it's boring stuff like that that saves lives.
0: I love boring. Tim, this is so much better than... Than you saying, you know, you have to go take martial arts for the next five to ten years. This is a much more practical way to to help me out. But let's say I do all the boring stuff and I find myself in the eyes of danger, much like it's very likely a person much much bigger than me, right? Not wanting to communicate,
2: right? Oh yeah, so 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 they're gonna they're gonna do things to you. I mean, people have told people of people of gone over a bunch of things they always talk about the secondary crime scene and it is true i I tell my people all the time listen if you're if it's if it's going to happen do not allow them to take you somewhere else you know this is where you have to use your your training you know don't allow them to put you in a car and take you somewhere else that's where precipitously just goes up for murders um once they get you away to wherever they want to take you which is you know where they're probably going to affect the murder or the rape or or whatever they're they're trying to do and that's where you have to have a really good understanding of you know what we teach and what we teach is anatomy you know basically you know the anatomy of the human body from a perspective of injury and we everything that we teach um those injuries show up in sports medicine injuries. And the reason we look at sports medicine injuries is because those, are, those injuries happen by humans colliding with humans or humans colliding with a planet, and those are forces you and I can replicate. So those are really good things to look at as far as what one human can do to another human and what areas of the human body keep showing up time and time again in that literature as injured. And really, there's there's approximately 70 areas of the human body. You don't have to know all of them, but each one of them can affect an injury on the human body as we describe an injury. And that is attacking a structure of the human body, like say an ankle or a joint or or something like that, or a a sensory system of the human body. And that's either going after their airway, blinding them, concussing them, shutting down some system of the human body. And what that does is it creates enough trauma in the body to where it takes the most dangerous thing another human being has, which is an active brain out of the equation. We've all, just to give you guys a a quick understanding, you've already experienced little injuries like this that bypass your ability to think. If you touch a hot stove, your hand immediately comes off the hot stove. Your brain doesn't Process that your brain, you know, it's not like your, your, your hands on the stove and you're going, Oh, Hey, I'm smelling something there. Something's burning. It seems, Oh, it might be my hand. Oh, I better move my hand. No, your hand comes flying off. Why? Because the stimulus of the, of the heat created a huge uh, reaction within your body you know, in the afferent and afferent nervous system and basically signals are, are heading up towards your brain, but it's the trauma is so great that the spinal cord sends a, another signal back down before the brain's even informed to pull the limb away and protect it. Now, what that does is during that time, you have no control over your body when you're reacting to the trauma. If you stepped on a sharp surface or on a, like attack or something, your foot automatically comes up. You don't process that uh, through traditional thinking. You know these are called these are called uh, spinal reflex reactions, and it's all h- housed in the spine. And the value of that is the person doesn't have control of their body while they're responding to these to these injuries, and that's how you're able to then put serial injury on them until they're non-functional. And non-functional is either they're knocked out or they're injured in such a way that you feel safe to uh, to leave them. And I mean, I have numerous examples. Of, uh, you know, of, of, you know, since this is a pretty much a, a heavy female audience, you know, tons of females that have successfully and also very unlikely looking people been able to successfully protect themselves from predators because why they had information. They knew where on the human body to put the effort. And, you know, what's great is no matter how big, fast and strong somebody is in these areas of the human body, they can't protect them. These are not something that can be conditioned by muscle or working out or anything like that.
0: Well, are there like a top three? I mean, I feel like 70 is a little bit overwhelming for me to think about, but what do I go for?
2: I'll give you a perfect example of why that's a problem to think of things that way. You know, the top three in self-defense, the top three, if you wanted to want well, to know the top three, it's always the eyes, throat and groin. And the reason they say eyes, throat and groin is because those are injuries that you can put on the human body that don't require body weight, meaning they require less effort. You can actually, crush each one of those with your hands, just your hand alone. You don't have to deploy any force into it really, you know, like throwing your body weight into the strike or anything like that. So that's why they point them out. But what I, what I point out to people is the best target to go after is the one you can get. The reason we all crave for like, like we would never, we would never sit there and like learn something like physics or anything like that and say, Hey, what's the top, what are the top three equations? Just, just give me those. I don't really need to know all that physics stuff. I just want to know how to do this. And you can do that. You can, you know, what, what I try to do is most martial arts and combat sports and self protection is taught. It would be like learning multiplication one equation at, at a time. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to, me- I'm going to memorize, you know, two times 20, four times 48, and 15 times 62. And those are going to take care of everything for me. But the time that you're facing a situation, it's 12 times 27 and you don't know that one you haven't memorized it you have no idea how to how to handle that whereas what i try to do is i try to do the opposite i try to teach people how to multiply i give them principles that they can apply and then tactically they can use those principles as they see need as they need it because they have a real knowledge base not just a memorization of you know punch here kick here do this
0: this podcast is also brought to you by Diana Candor speaking. And I say that because a lot of people who listen think that what I do for a living is this podcast, but it's not. It's a project for me to improve myself in all kinds of different ways. But what I do for a living is give keynote speeches to companies and associations on these topics curiosity, innovation, and company and team culture, and how to make it much more agile and innovative. And my speaking manager, Sarah, really wanted me to tell you that.
1: Uh, and then I am here to let you know that I can verify that people really like it when Diana comes and speaks, because every time she goes to give a speech, as she's walking off the stage, she gets hired to give another speech. And I'm like, okay, that's two more days this month that I'm. it's just going to be here. <laughs> No, but... Which Drinking is,
0: balanced superfood
1: Yes. And... Uh, and I'm very proud of her. And also, she's an incredible speaker. And the first time I ever saw her, we were 17 and she was giving a speech. And she's improved a great deal since then. And she was really good then.
0: Well, how about that vote of confidence? You can find out more info at dianacandor.com. And Sarah will be very happy if you do. What's the principle that you teach people that gets them from thinking, oh my God, I don't want to get hurt, which is where I feel like my base is, to like I'm going to do some stuff and hope that it hurts this other person. H- how do you transition from, from one to the other?
2: It's just like anything. It's familiarity. You, you say it's it, right now, all that's unfamiliar. Like I tell, I tell people all the time, imagine like, and again, this is probably dating me because there's not a lot of people that learn stick shift anymore. But I remember when I learned a car, my dad had a really lousy Volvo and it was this stick shift, you know, 1968 Volvo it was just a piece of garbage, but I had, I had to learn on it and He was the worst driving instructor ever. You know, I never thought I'd get it. I was sitting there going, geez, I can't, I don't know. I can't release this clutch in time. I keep popping it. I keep doing all this other stuff. Fast forward six months later, I now have my license. I'm in that same car. I'm going on a steep incline up that hill. I'm shifting on the fly, adjusting my uh, radio and talking to my friends the whole time. And something that I couldn't have even conceived of a couple of months ago, I now feel extremely comfortable with. And why? Because, you know, it's it's how you tr- you you train that information. It's familiarity.
0: When I finished the book, I told my husband, I was like, listen, I need to practice throw punching you uh, because that's what Tim says. And he was like, zero chance. So <laughs> h- how do you recommend that we if we can't get down to Vegas for one of the workshops, what's a good way for people to practice or to figure out that they can do it on their own?
2: You want to go slow and deliberate. The the methodology of training that you want to use is a lot of people are talking about it now like deep practice is what they're calling it. And there's a lot of great theory behind it. In the special operations world, we talk about training methodologies or training uh, tempos as crawl, walk, run. So the majority of clients will spend, especially in the initial seminars, initial training, they'll spend probably 90% of their time in the crawl phase going slow, deliberate, and really getting the accurate correctness. Because the hard and the fast is there with you. And what's funny is when you go slow and smooth, you're able to pick up all of your mistakes and you're able to correct much faster and you're able to assimilate the information way faster. And it's not just for this information. I mean, there's a great book out there called The Talent Code, and it's a good layman's book on, on this type of training. He talks about, I think, eight different places in the world that are training centers of various types of discipline, everything from music to baseball to soccer to uh, tennis And what's interesting is, and these places are all throughout the world, and they produce some of the top people in each one of their sports or uh, disciplines. And what's interesting is it's all the same. It's, It's slow, deliberate training that gets you there fastest. And so that's what we employ when we teach people you're going to learn to be able to go into these areas slow and deliberate. So instead of going full speed into your husband's neck and <laughs> only getting one thing, what you, what you we'd have you do is we'd have you step through, actually touch one square inch of say your ulna bone on his throat and push through. And that's teaching your body, your, your body's saying, okay, what do you want me to do? Oh, well, you know, when I need this information here's where I want you to step. Here's where I want you to strike. And here's the follow through that you're going to need. So the only thing we take out of the training at the beginning is the velocity because it's the most unnecessary portion. You know, you can get very realistic training done. If you take the velocity out, one of the things that makes me cringe, especially with women's self-defense are these crazy, like Roby robot, you know, programs where they have some guy come out in a big Michelin man suit and the girls just yell, scream, and they just, you know, strike in it, you know, just all over the place, you know, incredibly ineffective, not producing any injuries. You don't, you know, you don't know where you need to go on the human body to get a real result. And that's the most important part. When, when your life is on the line, you need very specific information. And the way to learn that specific information is calmly, slowly, and accurately. And, and that's how I do it. And, um, we've got amazing results with people doing that. So it's very counterintuitive to what people think, but it's very akin. If you've ever had to do, uh, you know, if any of your, your audience is familiar with firearms training, firearms training is done the exact same way. You know, in fact, in firearms training, that's where we get the mantra. Slow is smooth, smooth is fast, fast is deadly. And, you know, there's nothing more chaotic than a gunfight that I can think of. Yet the way people train for that, they train exactly the same way I train people for hand-to-hand combat. You don't have people shooting back at you right away. You don't, you, all you're doing is you're, you're, you're taking your weapon, and with me, the weapon is the human body, and then you're zeroing it in with targets. And you're saying, okay, once you get really good at zeroing in on the targets, then I can make, let you go a little faster. I can change things up. But it's a very straightforward methodology that very quickly, like I said, if I had you for two days, you you know, just the two day seminar, you you would come away with the skill sets and the principles that would probably really change the way you look at the subject the rest of your life, you know, to your benefit.
0: Well, I feel like my my perception of it has already changed. I guess the one big question I have left is, is there violence inside me? I feel like most of my life everybody's telling you to be nice and be kind and meditate to calm down. Is there a ball of violence that can appear when necessary?
2: Yeah, the problem is, I think the reason people have a problem wrapping their heads around that is because they're imagining criminal violence. They're imagining how criminals use violence, not themselves. And everybody's like, hey, I don't wanna be a criminal. Well, absolutely, you don't wanna be a criminal. That's not what we're saying. But you wanna be able to use the tool of violence on par with the criminals you know that's that's the key you don't want to be behind the power the the power curve and so understanding how to use the tool of violence does not make you violent it just is showing you how to use the tool and you already know how to do a lot of this stuff it's just you use the mechanical like like if i ask you to help push a car I wouldn't have to tell you how to lock your body up and how to, you know, make sure that everything's really tight as you start to push. Because you understand inherently, oh, okay, I can't have any loose part of my body here. If, I, if my arms aren't locked, then all of a sudden, you know, that's where it's going to give. You lock your body, you get down, you, you press, and you start feeling the, the car start to move. And that's when you add a little bit of pressure. If I told you, hey, I need you to crush this Coke can. Well, you get really close to the can, you'd come up and you do the mechanical work to crush the can. What happens is when we, when we start to learn quote unquote, self-protection or self-defense, we think we're doing something different. We don't think we're doing just manual work. If you approach it like manual labor, you inherently know how to use your body to do stuff like this. And so that's all I do is I just tap into the natural information that's already in your body. You're already able to accomplish these things. And I just show how to accomplish it and use that same information
0: to save your life. Do people come to you after something has happened, or is it just a large percentage of the people that have come to your trainings that have then been attacked afterwards? It just sounds like you guys have a lot of examples of people who have taken the trainings.
2: Well, Well, see, that's why I really appreciate Uh, opportunity to speak, you know, to to crowds like yours because they haven't come specifically to hear me. I'm just one of the, the, you know, one of the people that you're interviewing. So there's a good chance that your audience is very different from my typical audience. My typical audience that shows up or buys products from me, it's usually a 70-30 split. 70% of the people have already had violence come into their life in some way, shape or form. Only 30% are proactive and looking at the information prior to that. Cause I can't undo anything that's already been done. But what I can do is, like, oftentimes people that have had violence in their life, when they go through the training, they actually feel a lot better about the situation because they realize, oh, okay, this was just information I didn't have. You know, there was knowledge I didn't have. I now have that knowledge. So, you know, I'm not going to let anything like this ever repeat again. So, so that's, that's where it's at. That's why, you know, reaching out to an audience like yours, I'm hoping maybe I can get some people to think about this stuff before anything has ever happened to them. And, and, you know, usually it's just a couple of decisions. You know, it's just making a couple of right decisions at the very beginning of a potentially violent situation that makes all the difference in the world. And usually when you've had exposure to, you know, information like mine, where you see the whole, you see where it can go. And then I give numerous examples of people that had to use the information, what what they said and, you know, what the results were. And then also people that, you know, said, hey, I did a huge behavior modification. I don't do these things anymore. And then I'll have people tell just as many stories about, normally I would have done this, but after the training, I recognized, oh, something could go horribly wrong here. I'm going to get myself out of here. And so it just kind of reinforces all that, you know, that behavior, because the goal is to live, we live in amazing times, you know, and, and we have incredible stuff going on in the world right now. And I believe it's my job to, you know, remind people not in a paranoid way, but just to remind people that we still live in a physical world and that literally violence can turn your world upside down in seconds. And I hate to see that. I hate to see that when people come to me where their whole world's been turned upside down and demographically, nobody gets a pass all genders are affected, all uh, political persuasions, all, you know, wealth, you know, poverty doesn't matter. Violence is an equal opportunity offender.
0: Well, Tim, there have been uh, several times in my life where I was either too polite or I felt like I had made a bad decision and I found myself thinking, okay, this is it. This is how I might die today. And I feel like after reading your book and talking to you, I will not have any more of those thoughts because I will be much more aggressive about my decision-making. So I want to thank you for that very much and would love for you to share with us how people can find out more about you and the trainings and the uh, books that you have to offer.
2: Well, uh, probably the best way for them to to, to uh, just get information. is I got a lot of free information at surviveviolence.com. Just all one word, surviveviolence.com. And right there, if they just give me the email, they'll get access to my book, they'll get, uh, videos, all sorts of really good stuff because I want people to have enough information to make a really, you know, sure. I'd love you to buy products for me, but really what I want to do is I want to make sure that you understand how we look at the subject. And then if you find it, you know, useful after, you know, reading a book or or seeing some of my videos, then yeah, it'd be great to have you as a client too. But regardless, the information is great. And I think it would elaborate what you and I've talked about.
0: It's a very different perspective than any that I've seen on not self-defense, but on self-protection violence. And uh, I really, really appreciate everything that you're doing, Tim. Thank you so much.
2: Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Well, that was different and special and awesome, right, Jesse? Woo! (laughs) Okay,
3: biggest takeaways from the show. I want to judo chop someone (laughs) right now.
0: (laughs) I have wanted always (laughs) to do the Heimlich for somebody. I'm always like, do you need one? Do you need one? But now I've change that to throat punch. Just just want to try it out one time just to see what happens.
3: Yeah, mine's the, the palm to the nose. That, that That's motion. what you want to do.
0: The f- well, yeah. everybody has their own thing that they want to try. Poor, mm-hmm. poor Jason. I kept picturing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so biggest takeaways. Did you have a plan going
3: in when you were listening to the show? Like, this is what I'm going to do. I did not have a plan going into the show. I, I have some things that I do to avoid risk, like Going to specific places at certain times of the day are smarter than others. Um, where I walk in a parking garage, I try and walk in the middle so I know no one's gonna pop out at me. So, but I don't have like a real plan. No, not until I have a few more things in my toolbox now.
0: Yeah, that's to about whole, that's the whole goal of the show. Okay, any other big aha's takeaways?
3: I love the reminder of I don't have to worry about being socially awkward in scenarios. The number one priority is my safety, and that. Um, I'm not afraid to ask like, hey, can you uh," inconveniencing someone and saying, hey, can you walk me to my car or whatever? So
0: anytime I've made that decision, I've never regretted it. Like whenever I was like, you know what? I just rather, you know, ask somebody or just go home earlier. I've never been like that was a bad decision. No.
3: (laughs) I also loved the that we have. We always are on this like logical brain and we're just like, you know, thinking about everything. And it's like, well, sometimes you have uh, an emotional signal that happens and there's information in that. So tune into that, honor that. And if you're feeling weird about something, get out. Nice throwback to Denise Scholl,
0: the episode. I know. There. I feel like this entire season (laughs) is just like, your brain's not as great as you thought it was. (laughs) You know, listen to other parts of your body because they have just as much valuable information totally okay well i want to continue this discussion between me and jesse and hear what you thought of the show your biggest takeaways what you want to change about your behavior or what you want to reinforce doing just whatever you learned please come meet us at the facebook group it's called professional af podcast insiders it's a growing group of very active people who go on to talk about the episodes and the impact that it's had on their lives we would love to see you there And we would love for you to like and review the show. And this is one of the more important episodes to share with somebody that you love and care about because we want to get this message out to as many people as possible.
3: Let's do it. Let's do it. Should we get Tim Larkin come meet with the group? You know,
0: we're going to have a meetup for the show. (laughs) And what if the meetup is just us all throat punching each other?
3: You know, slowly. slowly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no.
0: Uh, Slow and steady. (laughs) i already said it. Slow is smooth. Smooth is fast. Fast is deadly. I think that's my new motto. I think we should make T-shirts. All right. All right. We have a whole line
3: of clothing now
0: (laughs) (laughs) from the show. I am Diana Candor, reminding you that curiosity is your superpower. We'll talk to you soon.